Hello, everyone, and welcome to our next episode of the Bull Truth Podcast. Tonight, we got some content that you're definitely going to want to discuss at Thanksgiving with the fam. So, let's roll the intro. Welcome to the Bull Truth Podcast, hosted by Ryan Frampton and Luke Osberg, shining the light of truth and all the BS of the world. Let's get thinking from BS to Bull Truth. All right, everybody. Tonight, we are going to talk about politics, philosophy, and the faith with our special guest, Guillermo. Guillermo, how are you doing tonight? I'm doing great, guys. Thanks for having me. Of course. Could you tell us a little bit about yourself, um, why you're at Carroll, your interest in politics, and so on? Yeah, so uh, I'm a junior here at Carroll studying political science with minors in history, French, international relations. Uh, yeah, I'm a busy guy. Um, <clears throat> yeah, why did I choose Carroll? Uh, it ended up being like a last-minute decision. I was actually committed to swim somewhere uh, else, and last minute kind of ruined everything with COVID, just hitting everywhere in the U.S. Um, the school decided that they weren't going to give me as much financial aid, uh, so I had to re research uh, where I was going to go next, and I ended up finding Carol uh, because Miriam Scari, shout out Miriam, um, and yeah, just looked at the pictures, applied, and submitted my deposit as soon as I talked to Elizabeth Zimmerman, and mm. yeah, that was it. Very cool. Nice. Um, what about what you're currently doing as a student? Well, what are some things you're interested in? Um, got any work that you're doing right now? Yeah, so as a student, I'm super busy um, just with classes and everything, especially this semester. I don't know what's going on this semester. It's just been a nightmare uh, in terms of classes. Uh, but yeah, uh, in terms of work, I'm working with Congressman Rosendale. Uh, he, is current, he is the current at-large representative for the state of Montana. Uh, and then he'll be running for the Eastern Congressional District uh, that was just, no, the Western was just formed. So he'll be taking over the Eastern District. And what does your job include there? Yeah, so I'm currently just working on the campaign. I'm more of a analyst and strategist. So um, I've had the opportunity to just do a little bit of writing on a bunch of different topics, uh, do a lot of research into what Montana politics is, and then get to know the national politics as well a lot more. Sure. Nice. Well, Guillermo, we know that the faith is important to you. Uh, we also know that uh, doing this sort of political work is important to you. So our first big question for you tonight is, is it Catholic to be a politician? Yeah, and you know, that's such a common misconception that politicians are all bad people. Uh, there's a lot of good Catholics that are politicians uh, who do great things, are always trying to not only do what's right uh, for a better future for the U.S., but also being a great Catholic and trying to promote the proper values that are, need to be instilled uh, in this country. Um, yeah, so being a politician as a Catholic, like it's a really good thing. Again, we're always trying to promote uh, good morals, good values. Uh, Matt Rosendale, he's actually uh, a Catholic as well and really does stand firm with his uh, faith beliefs uh, when he talks about politics. Nice. Um, I see a lot of, like you talked about, there's a lot of contention between either following the faith and letting a political party guide you as well, at the same time. Like there's a lot of people who have a tension between the religion they profess and the party lines that they're on. Uh, so it seems like it becomes very difficult in the United States to kind of at least follow that, the faith and be a politician at the same time. And, you know, that's one of the downsides uh, to having a two-party system in the U.S. I'm not saying that the two-party system isn't a good thing for the U.S. If we want to talk about that later, we can. Um, but one of the things about having a two-party system is that these parties adopt major ideas across the U.S. Mm -hmm. um, 
and they're going to try and encompass the biggest population that they can um, and kind of align the values with what it means. Uh, why does the Republican Party really tend to draw more people who are Catholic and just practicing Christians? Uh, the answer tends to be that uh, obviously you look back at the history of the U.S. Uh, in God we trust, right? That's a big thing. That's not just meant to be uh, for Catholics or for Christians, but that's really a thing for everyone to be able to understand, like, this was something that it was built on without the idea of necessarily having to have one religion, but the idea of there being a God. Um, and the Republican Party tends to be more conservative, which means you stick to the constitutional values um, a lot more than the Democratic Party. Um, and yeah, that's, that's kind of where people tend to draw the lines in terms of what party they affiliate themselves to. Um, and it really just depends because the Democratic Party does encompass a lot of values that Catholics would find <coughs> valid. Um, unfortunately, we live in times that the Democratic Party has decided they no longer want to emphasize those values and emphasize what the population wants in the like reactionary time without really thinking about the consequences later on. Yeah, it seems it seems a, like the correct thing to do is to vote or to be sided with what you uh, truly believe in your heart and most that most uh, closely relates to the truth and your faith that goes along with it. Bishop Vetter said in a talk last year, um, not liberal, not conservative, but Catholic, and that our actions, um, our motivations, what we put our trust in should really be that which is Catholic rather than trying to side and then go along with the beliefs of a side. Do you, do you see like in our society, people deciding to go to one side, but then they adopt the beliefs because of uh, the propaganda from that side and everything coming from that side rather than oh. what they truly believe? Yeah, for sure. And I'm a great example of that. So actually back in high school, I used to be very democratic. Um, I used to be straight party lines. Um, my big topic uh, because it was so misunderstood growing up, was the idea of immigration. Um, so my, my parents and my whole family immigrated from Mexico. Um, so people would always put me in that category. Oh, well, you're Hispanic. Uh, you got you to gotta follow these lines, right? Um, and the propaganda that they would have was like, you're a minority. Like, you should have more liberties in the U.S. And I'm like, I have plenty of liberties. Like, I go to a private Catholic high school. Um, I'm on scholarship. It's not because of my race, right? It's because mm. I'm a good student. I'm a hardworking American. Um, and that's all thanks to my parents, again, being able... And this whole idea of the American dream, like, let's just clear the air. It's not an American dream. It's an American opportunity. Um, opportunity is for you to grow. Um, and that's perfect with Catholic tradition. You can you can dream that there's a God, but sometimes you got to have the opportunity and work to grow in faith. Um, it just doesn't come for free sometimes, right? Um, but anyways, back to the subject at hand. So yeah, um, as I was on that side, like I, I started to adopt all these ideas like, oh, like black lives matter do matter a lot more than anybody else's lives. And it's like, well, I got to take a step back, right? And that's one of the things that, um, unfortunately with the democratic party, it's like you become reactionary, um, and anything starts to make you upset. Uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it, but it pisses you off, right? Yeah. Um, am I good with saying that? Yeah, yeah, okay, sweet. <laughs> yeah, so a lot of people just tend to be more reactionary where, you know, if you want to put your Catholic values first, you got to think about things before you actually react to them. Right. Um, of course, there's certain values, like you look at Roe v. Wade, you look at pro-life. What does it mean to be pro-life? Well, first, that's, like you said, Bishop Vetter would say, like, you got to look at what it means to be Catholic. Um, and that's definitely one of the issues is that people have ignored their true values because they fall so deep into the propaganda that they no longer believe in 
you know, what they were raised with the morals that they believe in. You just follow what everybody else believes in. And do you think this is a direct effect of social media? Or do you think this is, what, what is this movement of going away from your beliefs? It, it seems that people, maybe I'm wrong, but in the past seemed more coincide with their beliefs and now they're moving into, I don't, I don't know what they're like coinciding. a mob, it's like a, yeah, a mob like, thought. But yeah. they're like starting to adapt like what is popular yeah, and I actually just wrote a, a mini paper on one of my tests about this. Um, yeah, and it definitely has to do with social media. Um, I mean, you look back, a great example is 2001. Um, when you think of who was president, you don't normally align uh, like 9-11 with a certain party. Mm-hmm. Like that was America coming together as a whole. Um, where as soon as you get into the 2008 years, Barack Obama... Um, running for president, that's when social media starts to pick up a little bit more. And I don't know, maybe it's that our generation didn't notice it as much. Um, But that's when things started to really get polarized, right? Um, You're bringing in more attention to the fact that Barack Obama is not a white man, right? Uh, You've got a different race of a man running for president, which is great, right? We need more of that in the U.S. Um, But that's when really affiliations started building up. It's like, since Barack Obama's black, all black people have to be part of the Democratic Party. Um, Since he's a minority, all minorities have to join with the Democratic Party. And that's something that started to build up. It's like, this is where we need to start changing things. So, of course, social media and just media in general just started rotating to that of saying, we need to start focusing on attracting certain people and have them relate to the president. Um, Which, again... Not necessarily a bad thing. It's just that once they get you there, it starts to become more and more, okay, start thinking this way, start thinking this way. Um, There's a great book called, um, oh, shoot, can't remember. Uh, I believe it's Thoughts of Radicals or something like that. And this is a philosophical, political philosophy book um, that came out back way, way long time ago. Um, But it's something that we're seeing today is how do you grab the mass media attention? And it's... um, you attract as many people as you can, slowly bring them in, but then capture them by trying to bring in new ideas and saying, hey, this guy over here, he's white, he doesn't believe in you. Like, he doesn't want you in this country. Where well, that's not true. Like, I know you guys don't have those beliefs, right? <laughs> yeah. There's, um, there's a very solid way that we need to stop reacting and start thinking. So. Hmm. Uh, you're getting into an interesting subject about just like, uh, the idea that there's a, I guess, a perfect way for each side, like the Democrats are going to have their own ideal image for what the government's going to look like and the Republicans are going to have their own ideal image. Um, and I want to uh, talk a little bit about uh, philosophers in politics. Um, I want to go back to Plato's Republic, where in the end, essentially the philosophers run the society. Um, it's it's an It sounds like it's an oligarchy kind of in the end, uh, where it's kind of like, only the philosophers are going to reach that point where they can run the country. So it's not like everyone can have their opinion heard. Um, but in a way, it seems that this this society where people are, the leaders themselves debate things, like contemplate things all day, instead of, I guess, dealing with being a face of a country and stuff like that. Uh, I don't know, it seems like there's less worries about that. Yeah, um, and I mean, kind of about that, like, and that's why you see so many young people going out to vote, not only to vote, but to actually run for office. We have a great student here, Caitlin Ruck. She's running for uh, a house district here in Montana. And, you know, it's the same thing. Like that person that she's running against has been in politics for so long. 
that it's like it just seems like they're always going to win right and it's up to our generations to say like we also have our own thoughts and opinions that we can bring into this like we shouldn't be dependent on the same people over and over again mm-hmm. um and you kind of touched on this like uh, a lot of people who are in politics like you can think of them as philosophers because they think that they're going to be the only ones that can achieve certain things. Um, But then we have politicians who are very good in saying, hey, I need to focus on what my people need me to focus on. Uh, Mm -hmm. We have great politicians here in Montana, uh, not just Matt Rosendale, but all across the board uh, in terms of who are currently in politics. Like, hey, what does Montana need? Um, And on a local level, like our governor, like, hey, what does Montana need right now? And how can we use uh, the influence that we have across the nation uh, to get what we need? And of course, that seems kind of self-centered, right? But it's like we need more than one person to be running government. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can't just have the same set of people every time um, because then you see this again, this uh, mob mentality of uh, we need to adapt to what the people want, but we need to all work together, create this mob and then use this mob to attract another mob. That's what you get. Yeah, it just becomes uh, a dictatorship of the of the mob in the end. Exactly. If democracy just runs wild like that. Um, Yeah, and uh, getting into political action necessarily, how involved ought we as Catholics to be in political action? Like, um, it seems that, like, I don't know, I, I see this all the time on the ballot, like, there's some person that you'd like to vote for, or there's some people, you, you, it's a split between two people. Uh, one person uh, you definitely don't agree with, the other person you might not think is the greatest person. Um, it's just a very tough decision, like choosing in there. So there's obviously that tension there as a Catholic uh, and choosing morally. I guess, I guess all people go through this too. Um, but then there's also different ideas too, like are Catholics to do protests, are Catholic, are Catholics to uh, do all these other things. And so... It's just a good question I have. Yeah, that, that's a great question. And I think part of that is that we, we do need to be involved as Catholics. Uh, and again, not just Catholics, but Christians as whole. We need to come together because we do share a lot of the same morals and values. Um, you know, it's put it into faith perspective. Do you just sit around and wait for something to happen uh, and hope that God responds to it? Or do you pray about it, growing your faith, and then get something in return, right? And mm-hmm. that in return, right, it doesn't always happen immediately. Um, but in politics, we can see it happen, right? Um, Roe v. Wade, great example. It took 50 years to get it overturned. Um, and that's because of all those pro-life advocates that we have across the U.S. Um, without their action, this probably would have never happened. Um, and same goes here in Montana. We have an initiative on the ballot um, that is basically defining <clears throat> what a life is and where life starts. Um, and it's so crucial as Catholics to be politically involved in that and saying, how do my values reflect on what I'm voting on? If you don't agree with, sure, we have that example. Like, let's say there's two average candidates. Like, I don't know who I want to vote for. You got to really look into it and say, okay, who is the, the greater good, right? Who is the greater good? Um, because both of them could be great candidates, right? But who's going to actually do the work? Um, that needs to be done and yeah that's that's just so crucial is getting involved as Catholics as Christians um, and as people who just have morals and ethics um, if we don't get involved we're just going to watch everything that we believe in just fade away mm, that's a good point yeah and 
uh, I don't know. This is a philosophical thought I've kind of had on my mind too. Um, it seems that most governments do end up fading away in the end. Uh, so it seems largely to me that uh, that in the end there isn't much point to having a really really solid government. But at the same time, we're committed to each other as brothers and sisters. We're committed to each other and holding strong societal values, uh, moral values uh, that bring us closer together and closer to God in the end. And so that in that matter, it, it does make a difference what we do in government. Even though government may pass away, um, we still it's still like a social sort of a social contract between people um, living amongst the same area. And so we, we are called to help each other out in this way through this country. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, just kind of to go off that a little bit, it's like we we got to be careful, though, in terms of what we say, uh, you know, when we say no government, because at the end of the day, we, we can't really have that. You can't have uh, a, a functioning society without a government. Um, that's just not the, how the world works, unfortunately. Um, if you remove human nature, uh, the idea of uh, domination over another, like, yeah, perfect. We don't need a government. Um but we live in a culture, in a world where our human nature and our human instinct is we need to be on top. Um, and if we can find a way to balance that, that's, that's going to be crucial. Mm -hmm. Well, thank you, Guillermo. It's been good so far. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here, and we'll get back with this topic right after the break. All right. Welcome back, everyone. Um, let's just jump back into it. So, Guillermo, I want to kind of move into um, how theology ties into the government authority. So I'll just start by asking the question, uh, how do we find the balance between um, the governmental authority and then the, also the theological authority? Yeah, and, and that's a great question, um, one that comes up probably quite more than we'd expect. Um, but yeah, how, how do you balance it? And one of the important things is that we, we need to put our theological authority first, uh, in my opinion. Um, this is not anyone else's opinions. Nobody else endorses what I say. Um, but yeah, we need to be really careful because if, if we lose that theological authority, we, we lose our sense of reality. Um, because that's what really, like, it's in our foundation to, mm -hmm. to follow that, uh, theological authority. Um, now if we look into politics, um, yeah, that's, I think it all depends really on, um, you know, what political authority means. Um, if we look at political authority in our society here in the U.S., um, how do you balance it is you follow the will of what you're being told to follow by the authority uh, in the theology aspect, but you also have to be understanding that government is a, is a good that you're given um, that you also have to respect. Now, if, let's say, political authority starts going against that theological authority, that's when you have to put your theological authority first and say, like, I need to draw a line here. Um, and if the theological authority were to someday stray away from um, what actual theological authority is, then you turn to government and say, how can we fix this? Yeah, no, I think it's really important to... I mean, it's, it's almost like a ranking system, right? Like we have our theological authority ahead and then that which is under the theological authority, um, 
that's governmental, but that still coincides with the theological mm-hmm. authority as that which we should follow. Yeah. Um, during the break, it, this this idea reminded me of Romans 13. I just pulled it up here. I was just going to read it for you, Guillermo, um, to see what you thought about it. So starting with verse 1, it says, Let everyone be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except that which God has established. The authorities that exist have been established by God. Consequently, whoever rebels against the authority is rebelling against what God has instituted. And those who do so will bring judgment on themselves. And then later in verse 6, he says, um, This is also why you pay taxes, for the authorities are God's servants, who give their full time to governing. Give to everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. If respect, then respect. And then if honor, then honor. What do you, that, I mean, that coincides pretty, pretty well with what you were just talking about earlier, right? Yeah, um... And looking a little deeper into that, yes, I agree. Um, we do have to follow um, our governing authorities. Um, but to that extent, in terms of rebelling against uh, the political authority, we really got to, that's where you got to put the theological authority first. Um, if the political authority starts going against you, yes, it was put in place by God. Um, yeah, that, even, like even Christ recognized it at the Passion too, and he said, tells Pilate, you have no authority but what the Father has given you. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, and, you know, that's meant to challenge us uh, in terms of believing in theological authority first and then having a political authority that says, you know, you're wrong uh, or I disagree. Um, they, they got their power. Now it's your turn, not necessarily to rebel and, you know, slaughter everyone, right? But it's your turn to challenge that and say, is that really truth? Um, I, I'm a firm believer in saying that what's true will stick, um, mm-hmm. and what's not true will fade away. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, that, that whole idea of, yes, God gave political authority. Um, at the same time, he gave us authority as well through theological understandings to, to speak truth, to know truth, um, and to always try and instill truth. And this doesn't only apply for governmental authorities. I mean, this applies to all relationships. Oh, sure. Like yeah. parenting is probably the biggest thing, biggest one in that authority you're given as a parent and you're able to, um, I mean, you're ultimately able to guide your child's life. Like what the what you say to your children in, in their young ages, what you show them and teach them has major effects on the rest of their life and shape who they're becoming. Um, I mean, it's a very similar principle. That which you teach your children should coincide um, and be as closely related to the truth as possible, um, more specifically God's truth. And, and unfortunately, we live in a political climate today where that's not true anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we live in a society where we have politicians saying, hey, like, we can take care of your kids for you. It's like, you don't have to worry about what we teach them in the classroom, yeah. but whatever, you know, whatever we teach them is going to go along well with what you have to say. And it's like, no, there's a line. And you're crossing that line right now because, yes, we are the parents and we ultimately get to decide hmm. what we want our kids to learn and say. The family then, too, is it's always been seen as this way is the, the smallest form of human government. Um, yeah, that's where, that's that's where the idea of the government yeah, kind of sure. gets a lot of its things from is the parenting role. Right. Uh, but like uh, if if the family no longer has its governance, then the government like absolutely should not have its governance. Then. It's just becoming people of the state. Um, and 
I guarantee uh, the children were not born of the state. And again, it's it's that whole mob mentality. It's how can we, you know, the idea of radicals, how can we ultimately control, mm-hmm. you know, what we think is the right way that we see our society moving yeah, forward. That's so dangerous. It's not only dangerous, but it's it's altering truths and creating multiple truths. This whole idea of transgenderism in schools uh, allowing for teachers to hide the truth from their parents and saying, or I guess subjective truth from the parents. The parents may not know that in the classroom, their child, this is a great example uh, from my homestead in Colorado, uh, parents don't have to, or don't have to be disclosed if their child shows up to school and then the teachers change their clothes for them saying, oh, you want to be a girl today? Let's go ahead and dress you up in the appropriate attire. Wow. Um, they can refer to them as she if it's a he, uh, and the parents will never find out. Wow. And the problem, I mean, like, the problem is there's such a movement of be whatever you want to be, and freedom can be a great thing, but there also has to be some sense of, like, uh, constricting. It right? has to life. be freedom and truth. Right, because, uh, I mean, that's all we're talking about, but, like, when the government gives authority to, like, be whatever you want, and you're taking away from, like, a parent's role of, like, keeping the kids in this, like, I don't want to use the word bubble, but, like, there has to, people, everybody has to have a shell, yeah. and they can't go outside this shell of, like, truth, right? And, but you're free to move in the shell. And not, I, I think the best way of looking at it is, is that you'll eventually grow into that shell, but that shell doesn't necessarily have to constrict you to it, Yeah. right? Um, I truly believe that parents have their choice to choose what they expose their children to, um, for some parents, uh, as we see now, it can take till age three to expose your children to what LGBTQ is. Um, and then we have parents who decide to keep that from their um, children until they're old enough to actually understand what it means to be LGBTQ. Um, because again, this whole idea of introducing it to such a young age is so dangerous because it's changing what their truth is. And, you know, you're at an age where you don't even understand, you know, why it's not okay to not touch the stove. So why is it okay <laughs> for them to know uh. that they can be a different gender? And I mean, this infuriates me because why are we, what are we doing to our future generations and saying you can be whatever you want to be? Not only is that weakening our future envisionment for what our society could be, you're diminishing the opportunity for anyone to actually live their lives to the fullest. You're living half-witted lives with people then going back and saying, I made the worst decision ever by having the surgery to have uh, my breast removed uh, and to have my uterus removed and I'm living off of these drugs for the rest of my life. And what happens? Why does the US have the largest LGBTQ suicide rate in the world? Because from a young age, they were instilled, you can be whatever you want to be. And then they grow up and they don't feel comfortable with the decisions they made. And they decide, I'm not worthy of my life anymore because I already stripped it away from myself. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And as a child is taking all this information because they, they know no better how to rationalize in an appropriate way, I think adults are becoming children in that way. Oh, and yeah. social media is becoming the parent. And, and social media, is, I mean, we can go off on a separate thing for social media. Like social media is just such a dangerous thing, especially when taken in excess and at such a young age, uh, because that becomes the truths that you live and you see. It's the danger with pornography. Uh, from a young age, if a child sees that video or sees something that they're not supposed to see, um, they perceive that as, oh, 
I'm allowed to do that. Yeah. Right? And it's like, no, you got to understand what it means to what they're doing and understand why you can't just go and do that. Right. Um, but if we live in a society where our government says, hey, go for it, what's actually becoming of society? Are we creating a society or are we creating an anarchy where everybody mm. can do whatever they want? Right. Yeah. It gives a, a false perception of like that which is true and good. Like for pornography, just for the example, it gives the false sense of what love truly is. And that, that idea is like twisted. Not only brain. not only love, but what our human image in God's image is. Yeah, right. We were made by God in the image and likeness of God. And we're creating and twisting that in a fallen world where we say, let's take this image and likeness of God and use each other for it. Right. That's so dangerous. And I mean, that's a whole separate topic. But going back to, you know, to what you said um, earlier, back to, back to Paul, um, <laughs> taxes. Uh, yeah, nobody likes to pay their taxes, but, um, you know, it's one of those necessary evils. Uh, that's one way of looking at it. Um, you're a contributing member to a society. We talked about that. You, mm -hmm. Luke, talked about the whole uh, uh, social contract aspect. Um, you know, you're a contributing member. Uh, now, the government does have free will in saying uh, how they spend the money. Um, and that's where, again, we need to put our theological authority first and say, hey, you're not allowed to pay for abortions with this money. And how do you respond to that? Yeah, you can revolt, you can create a massacre. That's a terrible way of doing it. Or you protest just like we did Roe v. Wade and change society yeah. a small step at a time. Right. Um, yeah, adding on to that more too, uh, just with like theological authority versus civil authority, uh, the, the Catholic Church specifically says um, that it's not to be confused in any way with the political community. That phrasing comes directly uh, from Catechism 2245. Um, and it's, the Catholic Church wants to make it known that it's not the governing authority in terms of the, pol the, the polis, the state. Um, however, that then goes on to say that it is part of the Church's mission to pass moral judgments even in matters related to politics, whenever the fundamental rights of man or the salvation of souls requires it. So in this case, we were talking about, like maybe there's unjust acts, or maybe there's, um, uh, we talked about the transgenderism thing, talked about abortion, all these sorts of things that the government could be doing wrong. Um, and so the church passes these moral judgments on it to protect our salvation. And, and this is where I believe that the church can do more. Um, I think we have to be very specific um, and look at what authority means because there is theological authority, but there's also church authority. Mm -hmm. um, and unfortunately, we've seen in the past that church authority is not always right. Mm -hmm. uh, there have been mistakes that have been made that the church now has admitted were mistakes that were made. Um, and unfortunately, we, we need to understand that theology still has to come first um, in terms of what we believe. So yeah, the, the catechism is right in saying that. Um, but unfortunately, we live in such a fallen world that politics has seeped into our church. Um, and it's allowing for, you know, priests who say, hey, uh, I don't agree with you, but if you're going to have an abortion, just, you know, 
pray about it and then don't tell me later. Or you have those other priests who are saying, hey, um, you know, you can be gay. Just like if you're going to act upon it, just don't tell me. Yeah, I think there's a distinction there, too, to be made between like individual members of the church saying these things versus what the actual dogma of the oh, church for sure. says. Yeah, and, like, and yeah, that's that's the difference. Again, church authority, theological authority. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the dogma uh, has to be emphasized for sure. Right. Um, and also just calls us to, uh, like like Jesus says in the gospel, to give to God what is God and to give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, there's like there's a distinction there. Yeah. Um, and God's got to come first. And if not, if our, if our hopes are lying in the government, like we, like we said, the government's going to fall. So yep. someday it will. <laughs> All right. We have a fun sort of question. What is a interesting political system to you and why? An interesting political system as in functioning or interesting as in what do I think uh, is a, 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 fun, a fun one to think about philosophically. A fun one to think about philosophically. Communism is a great one to think about philosophically. <laughs> um, more specifically, uh, communism is derived from Marxism, uh, derived from... The, the whole idea of, uh, you know, we're all equal in society. We're all contributing members in society. Philosophically, looks great. That's a great <laughs> idea. Um, unfortunately, in practice, and this is due again to our fallen nature, um, to a society that's allowed to have free will, it'll never work. I don't care how many people say this is a, this is the, <laughs> this is a great idea. We should try it. Um, that will get us to failed government sooner than anything else will. So yeah, it's a fun thing to look at. Um, <laughs> so many mistakes, so many errors that people just choose to ignore because they they've fallen into this idea, into the sense that yeah, th- this is this is good. Um, and then they say, oh well, there's societies that work today that are socialist, uh, and it's like yeah, name one, Denmark. It's like okay, but what is Denmark? It's a democracy, a social democracy. There's a difference between communism and a social democracy. Um, so yeah, like I said, communism on paper looks fantastic. Um, in practice and in life, it'll never happen. If it does happen, good for whoever figured it out, but you're gonna see a mass amount of deaths just like we saw in the Soviet Union. Um, I'm in a Russian history class right now uh, and during uh, the Second World War, there were 24 million uh, Russian lives lost because of socialist mm. and communist practices. Wow. Um, because that is one of the most interesting political catastrophic failures, philosophically, or I guess, practically speaking and philosophically speaking, um, because there is no system. You can base it off of uh, communist China, you can base it off of communist Russia, uh, and ultimately you're screwed. Like, I hate to say it for anyone who believes that communism is true. Uh, read into it, look into factual things. You're just going to starve millions of people. You're going to eventually have someone who rises to power. And from communism, you get authoritarianism, which mm-hmm. is ultimately what happens with all communist societies. Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Exactly. For humans. <laughs> yes, sir. <laughs> oh, I have a 
I have an interesting political system to think about. It's actually a trivia question. This, okay, so the trivia question is, I'm just going to describe this political system to you. This political system has been suggested by many Catholic uh, theologian, or theologians and philosophers and has also um, been shown to have some preference among some church authorities. It is something heavily promoted by G.K. Chesterton as well. What is this political system? Is this a question for me or for, for both, I, for I both of you guys? For both of you guys. I'll let you guys. It's obviously along the lines of a theocracy, but I don't... Yeah, I'm with theocracy uh, too. But there's got to be something more specific than just right. theocracy, right? All right. Is that your answer? No. Oh. I got to think about this. Okay. <laughs> I, I Yeah, I got nothing. Um, Chesterton. Hmm. I mean, Chester... I'll, I'll just say theocracy for now. Okay. Yeah, I'll stick with theocracy too. The answer is a subsidiarity. Uh, a subsidiarity is an organizing principle that matters ought to be handled by the smallest, lowest, or least centralized competent authority. Um, political really? decisions should be taken oh, at a local level if possible rather than by a central authority. That quote okay. is coming from Wikipedia. Just I agree that. I, I agree with that. I agree that politics should be more local. Um, I don't believe that there should be such thing as big government. Uh, because when you have big government, you start to create that mob mentality. Mm-hmm. If you can keep it at a local level, you can rationalize a lot more with what people in your local district actually need. Um, hence why we have state districts as well, um, who then congregate together in the state capital, which thankfully here in Montana, it's right here. Um, and they stand for what their district needs. Now, you go to the federal government, you have a representative who represents all of Montana. But... Montana is so diverse in not only its geography, but its people that it has. You've got eastern Montana, which has basically nothing out there, <laughs> um, except a lot of flat land and agriculture. And then you go up north and you got nice luscious forests with mountains. You've got whitefish, you've got Kalispell. Um, and their needs are going to be very different from each For other. Sure. Yeah, um, absolutely. You've got Native Americans, big, big Native American populations here uh, in Montana who have different needs as well. Um, and that's where our larger governments fail is because they're not localized enough and they start focusing on the bigger picture without first actually emphasizing what needs to be done currently there. Wow. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm in total agreement there. The one problem I do see with localizing government too much um, is that you create disunity. Um, you know... As a nation, it's great to have a government that unites us all, right? United States of America. Um, because of our human nature, again, unfortunately, um, we start to see if we do localize the government too, too much. Um, you know, what if one district decided to go against the other one and then take mm-hmm. in the people of those districts? Um, the USSR is a great big picture example of that. Uh, you can say that they have representatives in each one of their satellite states, but ultimately there's going to be someone who's going to try and take over and have influence, and that's where you see the Soviet sure. uh, influence from the Communist Party. I think one thing that subsidiarities uh, are, would be really strong at too is like within a community, you have a common goal. And that, that's like what builds trust and strength within a community, of building each other up is having a common goal. But when the community, community is so large and diverse, it's hard to find a shared common goal. And so I think if you have a smaller and level, you can 
work better towards that. And if you do find that shared common goal, it's also got to be careful because what is truth then yeah. in that common right. goal? For sure. Because we could have a city like um, New York City. Uh, <laughs> just let's keep oh, it man. in the island for now. Uh, they have their own idea of what they think truth is. Right. And then you go anywhere else in the U.S. that has logic and... Um, <laughs> You've got conflicting truths there. Yeah. Uh, one's very subjective and one's more focused on what yeah. objective truth is meant to be. That's a, a good point. Um, Not to get political or anything. <laughs> As to that common goal, I want to I leave us with this last quote from the Catechism on what, it, what social um, commandment we have from the church. And that this is from Catechism 1889. It says, oh man, let me... Let me Okay, here we go. Without the help of grace, men would not know how to discern the often narrow path between the cowardice which gives into evil and the violence which is under the illusion of fighting evil only makes it worse. This is the path of charity, that is, of the love of God and of neighbor. Charity is the greatest social commandment. It respects others and their rights. It requires a practice of justice, and it alone makes us capable of it. Charity inspires a life of self-giving. Whoever seeks to gain his life will lose it. Whatever loses his life will preserve it. Amen. Amen. Absolutely. And it's charity. It's like a lot different than the world tries to say too. Like just got to love people and let them do what they want. No, this charity is sacrificial. It seeks the good of the others, even if it means sacrificing your own self, your own image, um, how other people see you. Yeah, you don't want to have uh, that charity where, hey, I'll, I donate you my love if you feel that nobody else loves you. It's like, no, you are loved right. by God. Yeah. Um, and he has a reason in the way he loves you. And yeah, um, you know, if if you are a member of the LGBT community, just know you are still loved. Um, you know, fundamentally, like, I may not agree with someone in the LGBTQ community, but it's like, I still love them for who they are as a person. Um, and they need to know that I'm going to, yeah, be loving towards them, but at the end of the day, like, the, there's there's a charity that needs to be done too, and it's finding what real truth is to uh, this the whole. Hmm, gotta be careful with how I say it here because I don't mean it in the sense that I'm searching for the truth to save them. It's more of I'm searching for the truth for them to know of how much they truly are loved. Right. Um, Absolutely. Without having to indulge in this false truth that our world promotes today mm -hmm. well don't know if we got any much before <laughs> tonight Guillermo but uh, thank you for joining us tonight yeah thank you yeah thank you it guys for awesome. having me this was great yeah it was fun we'll have, have to have you back on sometime for anytime politics oh, yeah. let me know part two. yeah politics part two after hey, the midterms. We, we, I was gonna say we can meet after the midterms for a bit there That'd you go. Be fun. Right, awesome. Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh, we really appreciate it. If you have any questions or uh, want to be on the podcast or have any suggestions for topics, go ahead and email us at theboldtruth at gmail.com. That's theboldtruth at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening, guys, and we'll catch you all later. And remember to keep on thinking from BS to bold truth. Peace. <laughs>